Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you the latest and greatest in a new episode of Monday Madness. How about that game last night? I was certain that the Eagles had it in the bag after some magnificent numbers from Jalen Hurts, but it looks like it just comes down to one questionable call. Just goes to show that the NFL can stir up a whole lot of controversy and passion and money with the simplest of rulings, but human error, actual or perceived, is what brings such excitement to games like that. Do you think robot refs have a place in the future, or is it necessary for the umpire to make some questionable decisions when that slider that landed underneath the box was actually called a strike? Either way you feel about it, that discussion has no place here. This is the Rare Petro Podcast, not the How Badly Did Last Night's Officials F Up Podcast. And I imagine you came here to learn about some earth-shattering statistics and insightful news developments, so let's get to it. Commodity prices experienced a bit of a revival last week as WTI climbed from $74 up to about $79, and it seems this week could have similar movement in store. This fine Monday morning opened up with a brief dip down to 78, but the price has already climbed right back up to 80 and a little higher at the time of writing this script. We've been harping on the $80 WTI ceiling for weeks, and while nobody can be certain right now, it certainly seems that we are about to surmount it. Traditional media will point to a number of factors related to COVID strains and production decisions from both OPEC and Russia, but supply is low and demand is constant, and that has been the story for quite some time. I think some rather exciting crude volatility is right around the corner. The spread between WTI and Brent remains in the slightly wider than usual $6 to $7 range, though movement remains identical, so no oddities in that department. Natural gas may have found a new floor at 250 as it has orbited that point for a couple of weeks now, but I believe the long-term sentiment for natural gas will be a much higher price point. When you consider just how much of the world expects natural gas to service their energy needs, we aren't even close to being able to do so. Consider how countries like India have committed to tripling their use of natural gas for energy by 2030, and you have a lovely setup for the U.S. We have oceans of natural gas that could be exported, and the demand for the energy resource is only projected to explode all the way through 2050. Let's just hope we get our export capacity up by then. Ultimately, crude is where it needs to be, and natural gas holds an insane amount of potential. Next up is the rig count. After a dramatic decrease from the previous report, we see an increase of two rigs. This brings the U.S. to a total of 761 rigs, which is 126 more rigs than we had this time last year. Strange to think back on the recent past when we regularly were up by more than 200 rigs year over year. Not too much longer until we see that stat drops below 100, but that's just what happens when you level out the whiplash of crazy collapse and growth. Basin by basin, we see growth in the Permian, to no one's surprise, as they put up three more rigs. It is followed by the Eagleford and the Mississippian, who added two and one respectively. Otherwise, the Barnet, DJ, and Haynesville lost one, and the Canna Woodford lost two. This puts up New Mexico to a total of three, with California and Texas each adding one. Colorado is down one, and Oklahoma is down two. The Gulf of Mexico came out absolutely swinging as three more rigs were up. The emphasis for the new rigs shift towards directional wells that are looking for oil. A rather standard rig report that definitely contrasts last week's, but... I'm certainly happy to see we didn't have another double-digit loss. Lastly, we take a look at Nick Fernhout's inventory report. For those of you who don't know, Nick is one of our interns who writes about domestic inventories weekly in our boozy and fun Thirsty Thursday periodical piece that is released every week. 
you always get a new cocktail recipe to have some fun with, and he pulls some excellent figures from many of our favorite data sources. It is best enjoyed on www.rarepetro.com in a whiskey glass, but here's the bare bones information if you didn't get a chance to read it. Surprise, surprise, another build. The EIA was pretty spot on with their forecast this week, but I mean, we have had modest builds for seven straight weeks now, so how much credit can we really give them? If you were looking at the API's data and wondering if you really had drunk too much during this report, or if there really is a negative in front of that 2.184 million barrel build draw, don't worry, because it's really there. Maybe the API began their Super Bowl festivities a little too early. Either way, they did report a draw of 2.184 million barrels, which is odd considering it's almost identical to the EIA's reported magnitude, but with a negative sign. Suspicious. Additionally, for a third straight week now, there have been zero barrels of oil released from the SPR. The average cost of gasoline in the country is trending downward once again. However, if you live in Colorado, you aren't seeing cheaper gas. While some states like Texas are serving up gas for just above $3, gas in Colorado costs over $4. Refinery issues are causing localized gas prices to increase dramatically compared to the national average. Nationwide gasoline costs $3,437, which is just down under a cent from last week. And while Texas has the cheapest gasoline, Hawaii had the most expensive at almost $5. In other fuel news, diesel is also cheapening, but not by much considering it now costs on average one cent less to fill up when compared to last week. Diesel stock is on the rise again, which is a bit odd considering that the past five years we've seen traditionally a decrease this time. Increase in diesel stock are likely a byproduct of weak consumer demand. Thanks, Nick, for putting together another great weekly report. That wraps up all of the statistics we typically take time to visit, so let's move on to our current events. Europe has been in the midst of an energy crisis for what feels like a year at this point. So many different programs have been announced across the European Union and other surrounding countries that have aimed to aid in reducing a household's cost for energy, whether that's just been caps on what utility companies are able to charge consumers, or straight up crediting someone's account with some extra cash so that the impact felt isn't as hard. A new figure popped up in a headline that I would like to discuss. Before we get to that, let's set some benchmarks. Know that the United States has a population about three quarters the size of the entire European Union. Now that you know that, hold on to your hats as I read out this headline. Europe has spent 792 billion euros to shield citizens from energy crisis. That's right, four-fifths of one trillion spent on not energy itself or infrastructure centered around bringing more independence or exploration, but just shielding citizens from the rising cost of energy. To be fair, Russia's conflict with Ukraine caused energy prices to absolutely skyrocket, and it would have been difficult for people to deal with the quick change in the domestic market as things were already bad. Unfortunately, the waiting game has not really been kind to Europe, and nothing has changed. The estimate wraps up all government assistance since about September of 2021, even before Russia exacerbated the already difficult energy situation. The EU represents a large portion of the total, with 681 billion euros put forward, but the UK alone has dropped 108 billion, with Norway being responsible for a meager 8 billion. What is frustrating to me is that these policies have only worked to sort of ration energy or limit the impact it has to consumers. Few of these hundreds of billions were directed towards programs that would work to establish energy security. 
You don't have to give out millions of euros to households monthly if you aren't dependent on Russia for 75% of your energy. I don't know if these are truly just kicking the can down the road mentalities or if they really believe Russia's actions have had little effect on the West. Maybe I'm totally off the mark and it's more of a question of green energy. It is entirely possible that at this point, these countries are so entrenched and committed to getting away from hydrocarbons as a form of energy that their hands are tied when it comes to reopening legacy power plants so that struggling families don't have to have it any harder than it already is. If that's the case, you would think that a putrid, polluted, uninhabitable planet of tomorrow would simply be an afterthought to the struggle and poverty of today. Whichever way you cut it, Billions of dollars are being spent every day simply buying more time instead of solving the root of the issue. Seeing a situation like this makes me particularly thankful to live in the U.S. and have our own energy resources. That isn't to say that the U.K. doesn't have access to resources in the North Sea. They are somehow just too stubborn to access those. It is saddening to see incompetent energy policy making as a result of energy dependence, but hopefully the 2020s serve as a time that highlights the importance of cheap and abundant energy. Folks, this energy landscape changes every day. You may think of yourself as simply an engineer, or data tech, or field hand, or whatever other position you might occupy in this energy industry. You may have been like me just a few years ago and say things that would elude shame to being involved in the industry. This podcast aims to give you the tools you need to be able to carry a well-informed conversation regarding conventional energy. It is not shameful, but what drives our society. Start up some conversation. Challenge people on the linear lifespan of green technology. Compare the surface impact of a well pad compared to tons of demolished earth searching for a whiff of lithium to use in panels. Talk about the physics and usefulness of energy-dense hydrocarbons that are mobile, not only for energy, but as a feedstock into making the tools and goods that we rely on every day. The more we do these things, the better educated the society we live in becomes, and that influences how people vote or make policy decisions. If you're looking for more information, you can find years' worth of research and interviews on our website, www.rarepetro.com. It is a deep well of information, no pun intended, so just search for a topic that interests you. Otherwise, you can always follow this podcast and tune into our regular segments. Never stop learning. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody.